How is the relationship between creation and new creation informed by and reflected in the arts? Hello and welcome to the God Story podcast. I'm Brent Siddle and my guest on the show this time is David Taylor, one of the editors with Jeremy Bigby and Daniel Train of this new book from IVP America in the Studies in Theology and the Art series called The Art of New Creation, Trajectories in Theology and the Arts. David is Associate Professor of Theology and Culture at Fuller Theological Seminary and the producer of a short film on the Psalms with Bono and Eugene Peterson. He's the author of a number of books, the co-editor of Contemporary Art in the Church and the editor of For the Beauty of the Church, Casting for the Vision of the Arts. David, hi. Welcome to the show. Brent, thanks for having me. It's great to be here. Where did the idea for this book come from? It actually came out of a conference that took place in September of 2019. It took place at Duke University, Duke Divinity School. Jeremy Begbie, who is on faculty there, was the mastermind, brought together uh, academic scholars who offered some keynote talks. And then there was a colloquium of what we called emerging scholars in theology and the arts, but we also had artists in conversation with each other, artists giving workshops. We had an interactive, interactive concert. Uh, there was a worship service on the sun, Sunday where uh, Bishop Tom Wright gave a sermon. And so out of all of that uh, fecundity of, of activity, we whittled down uh, some, of the, uh, some of the best and turned it into a book. So the book is a wonderful uh, collection of, of scholarly essays, but also conversations uh, between artists and scholars, uh, some testimonies from scholars, and then uh, the, the sermon's uh, transcript from uh, N.T. Wright. So it was a fun project to be a part of. Yes, and, and quite a complex project with a lot of different contributors. And we'll come on to uh, name some of the contributors in a bit, if we may. But I want to just ask you first off, what's the connection between theology and the arts? Well, as a discipline, I would say it's been around maybe 30, maybe 40 years, depending on who you would like to... Uh, time date your you know the field uh with jeremy begbie is certainly one of the leading figures in what is certainly a variegated field uh but his dissertation was published in 91 so 30 years ago and then before him there are other significant figures but as a field of scholarship certainly in the 90s there was a, a fledgling movement and then a flourishing of activity in the 2000s and, and up to now so uh, within, say, an academic context, there are some of us who are engaged in this interdisciplinary work of seeing how the world of theology or theologies comes into conversation with the world, worlds, many worlds of the arts. So it could be theology and the arts, theology through the arts, art through theology, depending on who you're talking to. What can the Christian faith actually teach us about art? A great deal. <laughs> Where do we start? Uh, Whatever you like. Yes. Well, uh, in the beginning, there was certainly some creative activity, whether we would call that art making, right? It depends on how we defined our, our terms, but certainly very early on, we see a significant mention of individuals who are musicians, whose work in the world is to make music. And then you have obviously God commissioning a work of visual, sculptural, and architectural art in, in the tabernacle. And Significantly, uh, for artists, the first mention of the phrase Holy Spirit appears in the 
commissioning of Bezalel and Aholiab. They're, they're rather fond of that uh, uh, moment in Holy Scripture. The Psalter is a massive book of poetry. Uh, the prophetic literature has poetic and dramatic elements to it. The Gospels are all narrative. And, uh, and then the book of Revelation is this work of, of, uh, this, this work of dense imaginative activity. Uh, so again, you have sort of creativity as such, you have aesthetics more particular, and then even more specifically, you have art making or works of art. And then you have a whole history of Christians who live in, in light of this deposit of art making that we see in culture. Is God an artist then? Depends on how we define our terms. I'm sorry, you're going to get that a lot from me. That's fine. <laughs> but uh, the answer is uh, sure. Uh, yes, in as much as we can say with confidence that God is the author of Scripture, it's a it's a mighty fine work of literature that the that the good Lord has uh, created. God has made a cosmos. It's rather artfully made. I would like to suggest Jesus Himself, obviously, the Word made flesh is in the business of making metaphors, making stories, uh, making rhymes, uh, engaging people in uh, dramatic uh, encounters, uh, if you will. So yes, God himself in Jesus Christ is an art maker, definitively. Let's come on to scripture. I wonder how the Bible's big story takes us from creation to new creation. At the risk of stating the obvious, uh, Holy Scripture begins with a creation narrative, and then things go south tragically, rather quickly in the story. And then at that point, you're, you're, uh, you find yourself caught up in a rescue operation. And, and, and that very incipient point in the book of Genesis, you have a new creation which is being announced. And then that new creation you could argue is itself represented in all the paraphernalia of the tabernacle. So it's not only looking backwards towards Eden, it is anticipating, announcing, representing uh, a promise that is yet to see the light of day in full. Uh, you, you see sort of elements of new creation language throughout the Psalms. Uh, and then certainly most explicitly in the prophetic literature, uh, the book of Isaiah, Certainly Isaiah 35, 42, Isaiah 65, 17, with explicit language of a promise of a new heavens and a new earth, and which then is picked up in 2 Peter uh, 3.13, most explicitly, and certainly the book of Revelation is imagining. But as I tell my students in my theology classes, if we want to talk about creation and new creation, we could go to the beginning, we could go to the end, or we could go to the very center to Jesus Christ himself, who is creator and new creation in one person. Uh, so it is part of the warp and woof of the entirety of Holy Scripture. I was going to ask you a very next question. In what sense does the new creation point to Jesus? But I suspect you've already answered that. Well, uh, he himself, in, in taking on flesh, you have the beginning of uh, creation caught up in the very life of God. And then that, that, that man, <laughs> that God-man, uh, goes down to the very depths of death and swallows it whole uh, and rises uh, from the dead. Not simply a uh, new and improved uh, human, but a radically new, new creation uh, forged and fashioned 
by the power of the Spirit. So he himself it, it has gone ahead of us. Uh, he, he is living the reality of the new creation now, and he is now sent from the future the Holy Spirit back to us so that we might experience uh, a foretaste or and I might ourselves become a sign and int- instrument and foretaste of the new creation, as uh, Leslie Newbigin once said. So in some senses, the new creation has already taken place. Absolutely. It has, it is, uh, it is, it is, as Jeremy Begby writes in his essay, which is a wonderful setting of the scene for the book, it, it is there before us in three senses. It, it has already happened in the past, our chronolog- chronological past. Uh, it is before us in the sense that something like uh, my desk is in front of me. It's before me, right? Uh, it is here at hand, right? Salvation is near. It is within hand's length. I can experience it. I can live that reality, even if perhaps through a dark, uh, a glass darkly, but it is also before us in the sense that it is yet to come in its fullness, the consummation of it. So yes, is the answer. Now, how do we make art and music then in the light of the new creation? Well, obviously we could talk about that, you know, all day, depending on which direction we would like to take. So I'm hesitant to speak for all times and all peoples and all places with respect to that answer. But let's just say with respect to this book project, I would say artists, and let's just say artists encompass all media, not just, you know, one kind of making of art, but we are invited to work with givens. That is, we are not making from scratch. We're not making from nothing. We are making from some things. Uh, We are making from a a created material that has uh, been entrusted to us by God himself, also by generations before us. And so we are invited to be care-filled stewards, uh, to attend to the particularity, to the uniqueness, to the logic of stone and air and wood and bodies and pigments. So there, there's a, a kind of logic at work in the creation part, right? We attend to the created world with love, uh, but we're also making something new. And we're, we're taking the data, as it were, the raw materials of, of creation and culture and putting it into a, a new shape that hopefully is part and parcel of God's work of establishing shalom. If I can simply use you know, that, that uh, Hebrew Old Testament kind of language, which I would say is sympathetic to the language of new creation. That is when the new creation is fully realized, we will be fully experiencing shalom. So anytime artists not simply make things that somehow bear witness or provide us a taste or foretaste, of it, but themselves by how they conduct, how they approach their materials, how they relate to one another, uh, how they go about the process, how they engage audiences. Uh, all of that, I think, is is part of new creation material. Uh, I think, you know, there, there are many ways, whether consciously or not, uh, artists can be participating in new creation work. How can our worship then, our worship reflect aspects of the new creation? Well, Brent, I'm really glad you asked because I wrote a book. <laughs> and we're not talking about it, but it is titled Glimpses of the New Creation. You have, yes. Uh, Worship and the Formative Power of the Arts. So that, I wrote an entire book to answer a question. But the short version of it is, in any way, 
that what we do together in worship, whether that's singing or praying or preaching or reading or being reconciled or baptizing or participating in the Lord's Supper, anything that we do when we gather together uh, in worship, in whatever way that our activities of worship may bring us into an experience of wholeness or shalom or true reconciliation or redemption or healing, any manifestation of the work of the kingdom of God, I would say that is bringing us into an actual but also anticipatory experience of of new creation. How does the Holy Spirit, I wonder, play a role in the singing ministry of the church? Well, that, that is a, an essay that I wrote about in this book. And then a, a friend, colleague of mine, Amy Wisenan, she also wrote uh, an essay. We both explore aspects of singing, new creation, Holy Spirit. And she focused on the ethical dimensions. That is how singing in a spirited way forms us in the way of Jesus so that we might regard, relate, treat one another as Jesus would have us treat one another. I, I take similar passages, the, the Colossians and uh, 3 and Ephesians 5 passages, and I bring it into conversation with the language of new song from the Psalms. So you have three senses of new song in the Psalter. So I take those three senses, put it in conversation, especially with what Paul is saying in Colossians 3, uh, that we're to address one another, Psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, and, and many of our translations will translate it as spiritual, sort of small s. And often that will be understood to point to something that's internal, invisible, immaterial inside of me. Or perhaps some may say it's like a charismatic kind of experience of singing. I, t- I argue a very different line uh, in light of what I think is actually happening, not just in the whole, whole book of Colossians, but in many of Paul's writings, that spirit language from the Greek pneumatikos, is actually referring to the Holy Spirit. And so then I ask, well, if the Holy Spirit is the one who forges and makes possible, you know, uh, new creation type singing, what does that mean? Um, and so then I, I suggest that it, it's, it's not just the generation, the Holy Spirit is in the business of helping us make new songs, um, as Charles Wesley did, Hillsong does, others, you know, in, in many other places, but the Holy Spirit also enables us to make song that enables us to have fresh encounters of the grace of God or the character of God. But also a third sense is that the Holy Spirit is in the business of helping us sing ourselves into our future truest identity. So that's not just content, lyrical, but melodies and how we are singing together that would forge within us a sense of unity that would fulfill Jesus's prayer from John 17. And I argue that that unity can express itself in many, many different ways, depending on, you know, your theological or, or cultural traditions. But those are the kinds of things that I write about in terms of Holy Spirit relating to song. Yes, it's fascinating. I, I just want to spend a minute or two talking about musical performance, because there are some f- fascinating cha- chapters in the book about performance and, yeah. uh, uh, and art making. How can... Yes. How can, say, musical performers live into a Christian understanding of the new creation? Say there's someone listening to this podcast who plays the cello or conducts an orchestra or uh, plays the piano or a singer. How, how can they apply the theology of this book, the new creation, to their performance? Well, let, let me say two things. 
in relative brief. The first is I was, uh, I wrote one chapter and I edited many chapters. So mm -hmm. I will not presume to be an expert on all the content that, you know, is, is included in this. So I will simply say, my first answer is, please read the book and be inspired if you are an artist or a musician of one sort or another. If I may venture uh, an answer, uh, you know, from my own sort of thinking and writing and teaching on it, I would say that uh, if you were a musician, and let me speak very concretely, I, I used to be housemates with a, a gentleman who played the French horn for the Austin Symphony. So that was his, well, his part-time job because very few people <laughs> are able to play full-time for any symphony. Uh, but he loved it and he was wonderful and I loved listening to him rehearse and watching him perform. So let me put him in my mind here. And if I imagine him asking me this question, I would say the new creation is not simply interested in informing how you play the French horn. The new creation is like a software system that enables us to see the world radically differently. So it, it enables me to see my rehearsing, my practicing in my room as something that is caught up in the sheer gratuity of God's creation. That is, if somebody says, aren't you wasting your time? The answer is no, because I live in God's economy of abundance. And that economy of abundance is not only reflected all throughout creation and all throughout scripture, but is anticipated maximally in a new creation. So there is time. There is grace for all things, including wasting my time playing an instrument. Secondly, I would say when you are, are seated in your rehearsals with a, the, the entire orchestra, you are not seeing them as objects that serve your own self-aggrandizing ends. You're not using them. Now, a good orchestra musician probably would, with great difficulty, see themselves. Maybe, you know, first chair violin. But it is, it is already hardwired to force you to attend. So you're seeding some of your sort of ambitious, selfish sort of tendencies to become attuned. And if, if the new creation is anything, it is being beautifully, harmoniously in tune with all of creation, right? So an orchestra person may have an advantage over maybe a singer-songwriter or a rock and roller <laughs> who may sort of be tempted by sort of the inertias of, you know, the practices and the cultures that they would inhabit to sort of be self-oriented. But then in the performance of it, you know, let's say in a performance that I witness, you are performing as an act of love, uh, experiencing the delight of making music, which granted you didn't write and you're playing the same music night after night. And yet the new creation would tell you that there's always something fresh, something, you know, sort of crackling with the vibrancy of, of the expansive goodness of God's creativity. So if you're wondering to yourself, am I wasting my time? How am I making the world a better world in light of all that, you know, that is damaged and dangerous about our world? Well, you are making something sonically beautiful, harmonious, held together, no matter what musical type, you know, you're playing. And that is adding what Calvin Serville talk, talks about as sort of a, an experience of aesthetic delight, which is itself an, an outcropping of shalom, a manifestation. And, and if, if, if those of us who listen to it leave with a sense of 
joy or a greater sense of peace or feeling like all the fragmented and fractured parts of our brain and heart and body have somehow been brought together in a place of, of resolution, right? A place of stillness. That is a gift, right? A little foretaste of the fullness that yet awaits us. So obviously there is no one answer for one musician, let alone one artist, but maybe that would help a listener imagine other possibilities for themselves. Yeah, no, I think that's great. I think music, I've always argued music is a foretaste of glory anyway and a foretaste <laughs> of the new creation. And we're, yes. and many of the, the greatest musicians, I'm thinking of conductors, have voiced the opinion that they feel as though they're being used in musical performance right. and are recreating yes. the music anyway. And there's that sense right. of artistic creation present, even in playing I don't know, a Beethoven symphony a hundred times, you know, Absolutely. they're still looking to recreate the piece and get deeper into the music. Final question, David, David, thank yes. you. Now we'd better come on and talk about the contributors. You mentioned Jeremy Begbie, who's a marvelous theologian and writer on, on music, mm. especially, but who are some of the other contributors in, in the book? Well, I, I, I don't know what to assume in terms of people's familiarity, but Perhaps those that may be more-ish familiar to listeners of your program. We have folks like uh, Richard Hayes, the New Testament scholar, who has a profound interest in the arts. He has been a, a faithful patron of the arts. He himself is a musician. Uh, Norman Wiersba also teaches at Duke Divinity School. He's done a tremendous amount of work uh, offering theological reflection on the environment and creation, care, uh, mountain guide, uh, a Brit, a poet, a magnificent human being. Uh, he has a wonderful conversation with Judith Wolf. And, you know, there, uh, Tom Wright, uh, Bishop Tom, you know, he has a sermon here. And then you have a heck of a lot of artists, I think are primarily based in the U.S., but a range, you know, we have dancers, visual artists, musicians, and then, you know, younger scholars engaging different media of art. And, and I, I just think I really love, I, I know I'm supposed to say this, but if I didn't have to say this, I would say I really love how multi-textured this is. And again, a lot of academic books tend to say the most important, the most exciting thing is just to write a straight up scholarly work. But I think in order to remain integral to what it is that we're trying to bear witness to, we wanted different modes of engagement, which is, you know, again, like artistic testimonies, dialogues, a sermon, and then, you know, scholarly essays all coming together to saying, <laughs> in a sense, this is a beautiful manifestation of the body of Christ at its truest in an academic book, right? And it's very difficult to sell academic books, let alone multi-author ones. But I love how the publisher was willing to take a risk on this and to bring sort of different experiences for the reader um, that hopefully inspire whoever you may be, whether you're a pastor or a worship leader or artist, homemaker, or you know, somebody in the marketplace to say, I think there's good news for me when it comes to the new creation of the arts. I certainly found it a fascinating read, having uh, wanted people to write more books on theology and the arts for about 40 years oh, and always, always being disappointed that nobody did. So praise God, we've, we've got one. And it is a very practical yeah. book. Uh, and um, there's a fascinating chapter too in there for Lewis and Tolkien fans mm -hmm. about, about how, particularly how Tolkien and C.S. Lewis were involved in creation and new creation, probably a subject for another time. But 
David Taylor, thank you so much for your time. Uh, David, you, one of the editors with Jeremy Bigby and Daniel Train of this new book from InterVarsity Press, IVP America, in the Studies in Theology and the Art series. It's called The Art of New Creation, Trajectories in Theology and the Arts. If you are an artist, if you're a dancer, if you're a musician, a performer, uh, if you're involved in the arts, and even if you're not involved in the arts, it's a fascinating read and will make you think more deeply about uh, our role and about theology and about the new creation and how we all fit into it. So, David, thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Brent. I appreciate it. It was an honor. We really hope you've enjoyed this episode of the God Story Podcast. If you want to help us make more great episodes like this one, you can head over to our Patreon page and become a God Story Podcast supporter. You'll receive our undying gratitude, plus a few bonus goodies for your ongoing support. Just visit patreon.com slash godstorypodcast. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash godstorypodcast. As always, you can get in touch with us via our website, godstorypodcast.com.